Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And this week, Justin, we have Champions League round of 16 second legs to talk about. Uh, the title race is alive and well. And of course, the relegation battle is you know, still a lot that we're going to see happening for the rest of this Premier League season and MLS week three. But Justin, let's start with the Champions League. One of the best games that you will see all year at the Bernabeu, PSG Madrid second leg. It was PSG who scored through that man, Kylian Mbappe, the star boy himself, gave themselves a commanding lead in the tie. But Kareem Benzema, Kareem the Dream, had something to say. A hat trick in like 15 minutes, I believe, uh, the, the second and third of which were 70 seconds apart. Uh, and Madrid go through stunning Messi and Neymar's PSG uh, reaction on this game. Oh, man, what a game. I mean, this is what the Champions League is all about. These incredible games where we get an incredible finish uh, with two, you know, top, top teams. This could have been a Champions League semifinal. That's I mean, that's how good these two teams are. But we happened to get it in the round of 16. And boy, did it produce uh, Kylian Mbappe. I mean, the the first leg as well. Kylian Mbappe with the dramatics, then uh, late, late, late goal. Um, to to put PSG and put them in prime position to go to the Bernabeu and advance, but it wasn't enough because he he did it again in the 39th minute and he was PSG went up two nil. It looked they looked comfortable. They looked that that it was gonna be you know the advancement that everybody expected the the almost comfortable way of just dealing with Real Madrid, but Karim Benzema. As you said, I mean, this guy is is unbelievable. He's still somehow underrated. It, it seems to me that Madrid fans have finally started to appreciate him in the past couple of years. Uh, but he is, in my opinion, the most underrated striker of all time. And he is, I mean, incredible. Donnarumma should be to blame, of course, because he let them back into the game. Benzema pushed him off the ball, shouldered him off, and was able to finish ah! off the... Sh- Shoulder, though? It, it, I saw people saying it. it it's a foul. And not a foul. if it was if it was called a foul, I would not have disagreed with it. I would have. That's not a foul. He, it looked but, like his arms were extended to me. That's all. I'll Don, say. Donnarumma turned late. He he got closed down. He didn't know where to play the ball. He's trying to play across the goal and he gets pushed off the ball. Goalkeepers often will just fall down and, and get calls there. I'm glad this one was not called because it wasn't a foul. Uh, and Benzema capitalized, and then he was able to score, as you say, th- three goals in 17 minutes. Those last two, uh, especially that third one, I mean, just, he just pounced, came out of absolutely nowhere to to f- get the ball and just immediately dispatch it into the net. I mean, it was an awful, it was an awful clearance from Marquinhos. He was under pressure sure. from, I think it was Vinicius Jr., but he plays it right through the middle of, of the field, like in his own defending third and Benzema outside of the right foot first time. I mean, it's a brilliant finish, but you know, PSG handed Madrid this game. They gave Benzema two goals and you can't do that. And then we also think about the fact that Mbappe had two goals disallowed for offside. The first of which was like a cutback, which he put near post and he would end up scoring on that same goal near post, uh, you know, just a few minutes later. But then he also had the one where he was the one who was offside and clearly offside, but that dummy to go past Courtois was disgusting. Disgusting, and I'm kind of sad it didn't count because it was so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. PSG Mbappe created chances. He scored the ones that could have could have counted if you were able to stay on side. 
But Real Madrid, 21 shots, seven on target. They deserve uh, a couple goals in this game at least. And but but it is PSG bottling. I mean, there is no way around that, right? Because if Donnarumma doesn't mess that up and and give Benzema the first goal, those next two goals don't happen. The the mentality of Real Madrid shifted immediately. You could see it. The pressing Agreed. picked up. The the everybody just got energy. PSG said, "Oh no, the game's on." They they realized it, and you know that probably led to Marquinhos' poor ball. He's a little bit nervous. It, it's that that one goal just changed the momentum completely uh and it's hard i mean it's tough to blame donnarumma uh for the entire game based on that one mistake but it completely shifted the game good to see psg players after the game uh in in the group chat and as well it on the pitch you know saying donnarumma don't worry about it. it's not your fault it's it's a team game all, all the things that you want to hear but that mistake really did give Real Madrid the chance and change the entire mentality of both teams. Yeah, it, it, it swung the momentum. And I think, honestly, the unsung contributor as well, Luka Modric was absolutely fantastic in this game. He is just, I mean, what a player Luka Modric is. Talking about underrated players, you know, so, so good. And I don't think that he gets the credit that he deserves a lot of the time. The best midfielder of one of the best midfield trios of all time, in my opinion. I rate Modric over Cruz. I've had some debates with friends about that recently, but this game was just another example. Uh, he was all over the place and then had that beautiful pass through for Benzema's second goal. So, you know, Luka Modric was brilliant, and, and I think he deserves a mention as well because, you know, obviously Benzema taking all the headlines, and deservedly so, but... Um, the fact that Modric is as good as he is at, you know, what is it? 34 now, 36, brilliant player, 36, brilliant player, brilliant yeah. player. Yeah. 36 years old to be able to, to boss a midfield and play as well as he did uh, against or arguably one of the best teams, if not the best team in the world in PSG uh, on paper, it is Really, very, very impressive, and I will agree with your take there that Modric is is better than Cruz. I've always been a, a big, big fan. Uh, I was happy to see him win that Ballon d'Or. That even though you know he got a lot of uh, stick for it, a lot of people saying he, he didn't necessarily deserve it, but I, I I was happy to see him get it because I think he's a fantastic, fantastic player. Uh, and even if you don't like Real Madrid, you cannot dislike Luka Modric. Yeah, I agree. And that's no discredit to Tony Cruz, right? Another fantastic midfielder, you know, such a great player to watch over the years. But yeah, Luka Modric is, is you know, burgeoning into that all-time great at his position up there. You know, like he, he is one of the best midfielders of all time, in my opinion. Totally agree. And then we had a few other Champions League games. Uh, Man City drawing with Sporting to advance. They were already up 5 0 uh, on aggregate there. So nothing really needed to be done at the Eddie Had. Scott Carson. Uh, Scott, Scott Carson getting some minutes. That's that's right. He uh, made a big save as well. Uh, and then Lewandowski with a hat trick for Bayern, who smashed Salzburg up 7 1. They they saw the, the comments people were making that they didn't look you know, they allowed Salzburg to get the draw in the first leg, but took care of business uh, as expected in the second leg. And then the big one, Inter versus Liverpool. Uh, Inter were able to find a goal, uh, an absolute stunner from Lautaro Martinez, wasn't it? Um, but then Alexis Sanchez immediately after gets sent off the pitch. And 
makes it very difficult for Inter, who got back in the game with that with that really incredible goal from Larchino Martinez. But then it it killed the momentum immediately uh, and made it extremely difficult with ten men to go and uh, find the equalizer for Inter. Yeah, they didn't really have many chances after Alexis got sent off. And to be fair, uh, you know, it was a second yellow, but his first yellow was a red card, in my opinion. Awful, awful challenge on on Tiago uh, and basically studs into like the midsection almost. Yeah, definitely uh, a red card, in my opinion. So that second yellow that sending off was coming. But if we ignore that fact, uh, Inter definitely could have had two before Alexis got sent off because uh, Lautaro Martinez missed what was a better chance, uh, a, a cutback and just put it wide. And then he scores an absolute banger that he had no business of scoring. But yeah, as you said, not enough. Inter couldn't get the chances to go and uh, find that equalizer at Anfield. Still put up a good fight and, and they beat they won uh, the, the second leg. Obviously not enough to, to go through. But yeah. And with that, Justin, we were talking about a, a 36 year old player making waves. What about a 37-year-old, of course, talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, scoring a hat-trick against Spurs at Old Trafford on Saturday. Uh, What a performance from him. That first goal, absolute banger. Uh, You know, with Tom Brady in the audience, had had to put on a show, and he ends up being the match winner for United. What were your thoughts on that game? Oh, man, Cristiano Ronaldo, doing Cristiano Ronaldo things. (sighs) It's it's all you can say. I mean, he is incredible. He is one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. He is a privilege to be able to watch. Uh, as much as I hate Manchester United, as much as I uh, may think that the Ronaldo-Messi debate is ridiculous, um, you just have to respect this man and his ability to, throughout an entire game, uh, find a way to get chance after chance, bury those chances, and then in the 81st minute, you know, find that winner to carry his team. Ralph Ragnick said after the game how perfor- poor, excuse me, poor of a performance that it was uh, for Manchester United overall. But it's Ronaldo. He's that good that even if your team is not playing well, even if you have only six shots on target, he'll bury half of those uh, himself and carry your, your team to a victory. Uh, it looked like it was going to be Cristiano Ronaldo versus Harry Kane early on when uh, Ronaldo scored. Harry Kane responded with a penalty. Ronaldo responded immediately. Uh, two, two or three minutes later, and but I don't know what to say, man. Besides, Cristiano Ronaldo is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else I can add to that. What I will say is, uh, Jaden Sancho had another good game, in my opinion, and that's an encouraging thing for United. We've been talking about him having better form, obviously scored in the Manchester Derby um, and then had a a nice assist for Ronaldo uh, for Ronaldo's second goal. Um, But even with this result, you know, this kind of uh, United are still not going to finish top four, most likely. Um, And I've been using I've been looking at 538, which is this great website, and they have uh, they basically simulate the rest of the season and give us kind of the percentages of where teams are going to finish. And right now. Arsenal have a 70% chance of qualifying for the UCL, according to their simulations. Spurs at 15% and United down at 11, um, despite beating uh, Tottenham in a six-pointer, you know, more or less for these European spots. Um, 
so, you know, it's a big win for United keeps their hopes alive for sure. If they had been on the other end of a three, two here, if they had conceded that third goal, instead of scoring it, uh, they'd be pretty much dead in the water in terms of UCL hopes, but their season is, you know, they're hanging on by a thread and, and Ronaldo's got decent grip, luckily enough for them. He's holding on for them, but, uh, still looking like Arsenal are in the driver's seat and they picked up a, a pretty convincing win over Leicester, uh, yesterday. Um, so, you know, just more momentum for Mikel Arteta's men. Yeah. Interesting to see that because 538 running their supercomputer, obviously they must have Spurs winning both of their games in hand, right? Because they only have two games in hand now, five points behind United. So they, they are predicting Spurs to win both those games in hand uh, to have the better shot. But I think that, yeah, the consensus is at this point, Arsenal are, are in the driver's seat to win uh, that fourth spot and get into the Europa League or the Champions League, excuse me. Uh, which is very, very good for them. I know there's been a lot of talk around Arteta. He's been up and down uh, all over the place for the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, very, very big there. And then from the f- top four race to the title race, oh man, Manchester City today dropping points against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. It was, it, it was a really good performance from Crystal Palace, but City just couldn't finish. Uh, there was a ton of chances. First half, beginning to end, it was very, very uh, controlled by Manchester City. The possession was dominant, uh, about 75% possession. Crystal Palace just sat very, very deep throughout the entire game. They had uh, some breaks for sure. Crystal Palace had chances themselves on the counterattack, whether it be uh, through Zaha or or. Gallagher or Olise, all three of them had had chances leading the other way. But Manchester City, I mean, 2.37 XG, you have to bury a a chance at some point. Bernardo had one where it came back to him. In the first half, he should have scored. Uh, Laporte had one as well where he may or may not have been offside, but off, off Kinsella when he hit the post and it ricocheted right back to him and he skied it. I mean, there's just a few chances there that, really should have been put away uh, and a massive, massive loss or not a loss, but a massive dropping of points for Manchester city uh, in the title race. Now only four points up on Liverpool, Liverpool with the, that game in hand. So if they can win it one point uh, with the teams, those two teams still to play at the Etihad, that game could very well be the title decider. Yeah, that's going to be, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a huge game you know, just kind of feels like the exact same scenario that we had. Was it uh, two seasons ago or three seasons ago? I think when, you know, Leroy Sané scored off the post and in feels exact same. And and you, you know, you misspoke saying it was a loss. It wasn't a loss, but it sure as hell felt like one for city. Um, And and a lot of the, a lot of people saying Liverpool have the momentum right now. And and I don't know if I could disagree with that. Although 538 still gives city a, 67% 67% chance, two thirds to Liverpool's one third of winning the title, which is kind of surprising to me. I, I thought it would be closer than that. Um, obviously take all these with a grain of salt, but it's just what the, the algorithm is saying. But, you know, I, I think that game will probably decide it. Um, I, I don't really see either of these teams consistently dropping too many more points. Honestly, you know, City need to not, slip up like that but but honestly i don't think they will i think 
we'll see what happened last time, which was City and Liverpool both winning out their last like 10 games of the season when City uh, pitched Liverpool to the title by a point. And that game ended up being what decided it. And I think that's going to be the case again, Justin. So, yeah, what a big match that's going to be. Um, luckily for you, it will not be at Anfield because that would be a, a, quite a problem, I think. But the Etihad will be hosting another title deciding match. Really looking forward to that. And then, Justin, we've been talking about it pretty extensively. It's another really interesting conversation and especially poignant, obviously, because I am a fan of one of the teams involved. But the relegation battle takes yet another twist or a few twists this week. There were some big results. Uh, the midweek results last Thursday went kind of in Everton's favor. Uh, Watford getting blown out by Wolves, Burnley losing to Brentford, Norwich losing to Chelsea. But then this weekend, there were some really big results that we saw. Uh, first and foremost, Leeds picking up a 94th minute winner through Joe Gelhart against Norwich at Ellen Road. Absolute scenes limbs at Ellen road, uh, a huge, huge three points for Jesse Marsh and his men under Jesse you know, Marsh pretty much consigns Norwich to their fate um, of relegation. Uh, but then it was Watford going to St. Mary's beating Southampton two goals to one. Thanks to an absolute gift from, I believe it was Fraser Forster in, in that for Southampton, uh, you know, handed a goal to Cucho, uh, and then he scored again and, and Southampton could only get one goal um, trying to get back into it. And then Wolves went to Goodison Park and uh, took down Everton one goal to nil. It was Connor Cody, of course, because that is just the most Everton thing that could happen. The copite coming and scoring. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it had to be him. And of course, he's third spot on my bench in FPL. So it just had to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's now four straight games without a goal for Everton, which is obviously nowhere near good enough when you're in a relegation scrap. Like you can't, you're not going to win games uh, if you're not scoring, obviously, but not even picking up points because it's not like our back line has been phenomenal. To be fair, we didn't give up that many chances. The XG was like 0.7 for Wolves to 0.4 for Everton, but we were so poor going forward. And then John Joe Kenny got, a second yellow in the 80th minute. And, and we really couldn't create much after that. Um, and, and so referencing 538 again, Justin, this relegation race is extremely close. Watford and Norwich are almost sure to go down Norwich at 99%. As I said, them losing to Leeds was final nail on the coffin after, you know, mid season, they looked like they had a bit of life with Dean Smith coming in. Watford at 77%. So they're pretty likely to go down. And then it, that fight for the 18th spot there, Burnley 44%, Everton 38%, Leeds 36%. So that this is a coin flip. It's a toss up. It's a three-way coin flip. Take your pick. Uh, I mean, it, it's getting really, really interesting. So we kind of have these three main narratives going on right now, Justin. What do you think is the most compelling? Obviously, you, you would say the title race because of City, but what are your kind of your thoughts on, on the way the season is playing out in general? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it, right? Because yeah, it is the title race because it's the most important. It's the one that really is everyone cares about whether you're a fan of the team or not. Uh, and it's going to be close. So I think that is, but then if you look at it at who you, the one that it's really the most toss up, that's the relegation battle because there's three teams there that, that you really don't know what's going to happen. 
whereas, you know, the, the top four race, Arsenal looks to be the team that is going to take it. Uh, there are a couple other teams involved, obviously, but much less uh, chances as 538 has shown there. But yeah, that relegation battle is the one where it's really the most of a toss-up. Uh, and so we, we like it, though, because we know going into the season that these are the three things that are always going to be up for contention. We know that the title and the top four and then uh, maybe Europe, right? Maybe that, that's the seventh spot uh, to get into, you know, Conference League or sixth spot to Europa League. But and then that relegation battle. So three of those four are really, really good races uh, as well. The, the race for seventh is there as well um, with West Ham and Wolves. And uh, so it's there's there's races all over the place. And this is what we like as, as Prem fans. We want it to be uh, tight. We want it to be unsure until the last day, unless you're a fan of one of the teams, of course. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's very exciting going into these last a few weeks of the Premier League to we really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, what I will say is the rele- the relegation battle is definitely the, the most surprising because you know although the discussion was really City versus Chelsea for the title, I'm not you know no one's that surprised that that Liverpool are are up in the the mix too. You know, obviously won it a couple of years ago, but uh, there was not many people, if any, saying that Leeds and Everton would be fighting for their lives. You know two thirds through the season, uh, just a point above the relegation zone. So, you know, obviously really interesting storylines. We know Leeds were down for a long time and then just came back up and, and them going down would be a huge blow. And then obviously Everton haven't been down in 70 years. So would be uncharted territory for us. And, and I really am, am dreading it. Um, and I mean, 38%, I, I don't know at this point, our fixtures are so bad. Uh, I just I, I'm kind of having to wrap my head around what the championship might look like for us just so, you know, in the situation that we do get relegated, which is very, very possible. Uh, you know, I, I don't want it to be too much of a shocker. I want to already be processing it a little bit now, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then before we move on from the Premier League, we just have to talk about Chelsea because uh, more yeah. government sanctions have been placed on uh, the club, Roman Abramovich himself as well, uh, over the past week since we since we talked about it last week. Uh, just to recap in a very basic way, what Chelsea can still do uh, is obviously play their matches. They can still get their broadcasting money, and they can allow their season ticket holders, so those, those seats that have already been sold, uh, to attend the games. But they cannot buy new players. They cannot sign new, con- new contracts. So even the players that are there, they can't. Uh, offer them any new contracts for the time being they can't sell any new tickets to the games they can't sell any club merchandise in their club shop um, and they can't sell the club as a whole which we know Robert Roman Abramovich has been trying to do um, but so they can't sell the club unless they allow the UK government to take control of the process which uh, is seems unlikely uh, so that is that is the basis of the sanctions that have been placed on Chelsea as of right now uh, obviously, this is a very developing situation uh, and could change at any moment uh, based on new developments. But Garrett, what are your thoughts uh, right now? I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's reports today that the Saudi media group have, have made a massive $3.5 billion yep. dollar bid. Um, and that I feel like surely 
the Premier League wouldn't let that happen. You can't have the Saudi government and the Saudi media both owning two different clubs. That's a real conflict of interest. So if that happens, uh, the Premier League is in big trouble, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's such a weird situation. I think Abramovich must have known that this was coming, you know, with his announcement and whatnot. And then all this happens. Um, but, you know, good on the players for, you know, taking on a good Newcastle side at, at the bridge this weekend, right? Newcastle have been in very, very good form and, you know, finding a way to win despite all the stuff that's going on and they're not, you know, able to sell away tickets and whatnot. But, you know, Stanford bridge was still full and they ended up getting rewarded with a unbelievable goal from Kai Havertz. That first touch is absolutely world-class um, uh, for that goal against Newcastle this weekend. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy times, isn't it, Justin? And it's so interesting to see, you know, a lot of the stuff in, in the world, a lot of these world events, real life things that you don't, you know, associate with football having, you know, a, a big impact actually on, on what's going on within the sport. So definitely going to be something to keep an eye on is this whole situation with Abramovich and Chelsea. Um, for Chelsea's sake, I, I do hope that they can just have a good bid, a good new owner come in and, and just resolve this quickly because you don't want to see Chelsea getting punished for, you know, something that is not their fault um, and unable to go to games. We don't want to see forfeits. We don't want to see no fans or lack of away fans. So hopefully there's just a, a speedy resolution to the whole situation. Yeah, we'll see if uh, the club can be sold uh, or, or what the situation develops as. Um, but with that, we can move on to the MLS, in which this was just a week of upsets in week three, wasn't it? Um, before we get there, we can start off with the, the big game of the week, uh, two of the biggest clubs in MLS historically. It is Seattle Sounders. It is LA Galaxy uh, at Lumen Field in Seattle. This was uh, lived up to the expectations, right? Uh, Javier Chicharito Hernandez opening the scoring in the sixth minute very early on capitalizing uh, for, for Galaxy. Jordan Morris responding uh, with the ugliest goal you'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but his first goal in, what, a year and a half now in MLS. So really good to see him get, get back as, you know, the U.S. Uh, is starting to get into really important qualifiers. He's going to want to be involved, uh, whether it be in the World Cup qualifiers or the World Cup squad eventually. Uh, I'm not sure that I necessarily believe he deserves that, but good to see him get back on the score sheet. Freddie Montero uh, with a penalty and then Douglas Costa getting his first LA Galaxy goal uh, off a deflection, off a free kick. And then it was Javier, Javier Arriaga, a 72nd minute header winner uh, to, to give Seattle their first win and their first points of this new season. So maybe no more worrying for Sounders fans after uh, beating an informed galaxy team. Yeah. I mean, this was a really compelling game to watch. Uh, I honestly had no idea how this one was, was going to end up. There was just, you know, at galaxy were totally in control at the beginning of the game. Uh, the goal through Chicharito was really well constructed and I was starting to worry for Seattle. They didn't, you know, they weren't doing much going forward. Um, and, and then, as you said, just one of the scrappiest goals you will ever see, uh, not very easy on the eye, but they all count. Um, and, and that got Seattle back in the game and then a, a clear handball on, uh, on the galaxy Montero, you know, really good penalties slots at home. Um, and then, you know, I mean, Douglas Costa, a lot of people, people were making a lot about this goal. It, I mean, 
he was literally aiming for the near post and a deflects goes far post. It, it, it really had nothing to do with him. I thought he was okay in this game. I wasn't particularly impressed. He had a couple of nice kind of switches or cut inside, but I didn't think his, his influence was too great. But then also, I mean, there was a Efren Alvarez almost did the exact same thing that he did in, in Charlotte last weekend. It literally almost did the exact same goal from the left side across the goal dipping. This one goes off the bar. Obviously the, the one last week went in off the post. Uh, and then Ariaga just ends up capitalizing on, on a set piece. Uh, you know, Jordan Morris's goal was also like a recycling of a corner. So I think galaxy need to, to focus on their set piece defending. Um, and you say, Oh, maybe we don't have to worry about Seattle. And yeah, you know, they didn't have Rui Diaz they didn't have Ladero, but at the same time, I, I thought it was kind of harsh on the galaxy for them to lose this game. I, I thought that they, they played just as well as Seattle did. I, I think they probably deserved a point from the game. Um, so I wouldn't say all of my concerns about Seattle are gone, but it was definitely good to see them fight back in this game when at the beginning it looks like, oh man, this one could possibly get ugly. Absolutely. Uh, and then as we said, there are there were just a ton of upsets uh, this week. Cincinnati going to Orlando, beating them 2-1. Uh, Chicago beating D.C. United 2-0. FC Dallas going and beating Nashville 2-0 at Toyota Stadium in Dallas. Uh, Colorado, whether you want to call it an upset or not, going and beating Sporting Kansas City. I'd uh, call that an upset. Yeah, I would think so too. But, you know, Colorado did win the West last year, uh, and we're still early on. So however you want to look at it. Um, And then the big big really upset, I mean, probably Cincinnati is the most impressive, but the the big one was Real Salt Lake over New England because – in the 77th minute, New England's up 2-0, uh, feeling comfortable, feeling like, all right, we we uh, got the job done at home, but in, in the snow, you know, tough conditions. But Real Salt Lake had other ideas. Uh, Sergio Cardova, 78th minute. Justin Glad, 88th minute. Tate Schmidt, 90 plus three. Turned the game around on its head uh, within 15 minutes to get the win in New England. Real Salt Lake uh, are now sitting level with LAFC at the top of the Western conference on seven points. Just what are your thoughts on this? I mean, Real Salt Lake's uh, an incredible start to the year and telling us maybe they're for real going to new England and beating the reigning supporter shield winners, the reigning MLS uh, cup or MLS record setters for, for points. I mean, they're kind of just picking up where they left off, right? We all thought that they would, you know, go back to kind of how they were playing at the beginning of the year, which was not great, right? Like it took them a a really impressive run of games to to get into the playoffs at all. And then they had all these upsets, but I mean, it's the late, late show from them yet again. And I think we should stop, you know, being surprised about it because they're doing it so often the whole back end of last season, they were scoring, you know, Ruznak 93rd minute winner or, uh, you know, whoever uh, they, they have been doing this for a while. And I mean, obviously they haven't done it from like two nil down like this uh, on the road. It's incredibly impressive. Um, and, and it looked like new England were having a great day, right? Josie Altidore scoring his first goal for the revs since joining them. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just what a turnaround. These guys have showed us that they can flip a switch and, you know, I'll be really interested to see if they can actually keep this up and, and be competing towards the top of the Western conference um, especially when we all predicted them to be, you know, not even near the playoffs. That's, but that's MLS for you. That's MLS for you. Anything can happen. Absolutely. Anything can happen. Uh, 
Philadelphia beat your team, San Jose. They're uh, looking really good uh, up at, up at the top of the Eastern Conference level uh, with Philadelphia or level with Colorado, uh, Columbus. Excuse me, um, level with Columbus on seven points. So the the two teams uh, there, as well as we I mentioned, LAFC going to uh, Miami and finding a way to win there. So those. That's the uh, top of each, each conference uh, for you in the MLS. And then we can uh, move on to the questions that we got. We got a few questions uh, this week. The first one I think that we should start with is, you know, our, our regular contributor, CityZilla on Twitter, uh, because I think this is a very important topic that we uh, would have discussed earlier, but we wanted to wait for the question. It is the conversation of Mo Salah and whether he will stay or leave Liverpool. We know that the uh, most recent news is that Mo Salah has rejected Liverpool's most recent offer uh, for his new contract. So will he stay? Will Liverpool offer him a new contract, a, a better contract, exactly give him what he is asking for uh, to keep him there? Or will they try and find a replacement and let him go? I can't see him leaving uh, and, and he wants to stay. And, and Fabrizio Romano made that clear. Salah's priority is getting a deal that he thinks is fair so that he can stay. And yes, FSG can be cheap. Uh, you know, they keep their wallet tight to their person, but there's no way Klopp is going to let them just not bring Salah back in. He's going to be demanding that they give Salah what he wants. And, and I, it would just be so weird to see him leaving right now, especially when they're still competitive. Their, their squad is deeper than ever, to be honest. Um, so I, I really just, I really can't see him leaving. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that it'd be re really surprising to see him leave uh, because, as you say, he wants to be there. Liverpool want him. Klopp wants him. Uh, it's, it, they've had a great relationship throughout the time that he's been there. The only thing is we do know, as you say, FSG know what they believe everybody is worth. And they have a number for Salah. They, they have their evaluations of what they believe he's worth. And if he's going to just not accept any of their offers for whatever they believe he's worth, they will let him go and, and find replacements with Diogo Jota, Luis Diaz, and you know fill, out, fill in however they need because they've shown the ability to do that. But yeah, I would be surprised to see him leave. I expect them to offer a better contract and him accept uh, because he's not, you know, a, a stuck up guy who's just wants a, a ton of money or, or this diva. He's never been that. Um, he's a very humble guy, uh, but he he knows what he's worth. Uh, and, and so do his agents. So that will be a very interesting developing story. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, Justin, that, you know, FSG will have an amount that they want to spend and, and that's how FSG operate. But I disagree with it because I think you give Salah whatever you need to, to make him stay because, you know, as much as you say, oh, you know, their recruitment has been good and that's true. The fact of the matter is that all these players have turned out well while they're playing next to Salah because Liverpool were not good until Salah showed up and, and you know, kind of just became world class overnight pretty much. You're not going to get anyone better than him. I don't think Liverpool have had anyone better than him in a very, very long time, uh, if at all. He's, I think he has to be in consideration for one of their best players of all time. Um, I, I don't think you can let him leave. I don't care how stuck up FSG want to be and their principles. I just think 
letting them letting Salah go would be such an awful mistake from them. And honestly, I think it would be they're not showing him kind of the gratefulness that they should have because he's brought them all of the success that that they've had under, you know, recently. And obviously Klopp gets credit for that too, but you know, Klopp was there at Liverpool and they had an awful season, but it brings in Salah and they've been in the contention for silverware every single year since. So I think that he deserves to get whatever he wants. I think that FSG would be uh, quite self-centered of them to think that they're better than giving Salah whatever he wants. So I think that they need to do what they need to do to keep Salah there. And obviously I'd rather him not be there because he terrorizes Everton every single time that we play them. But uh, that's just my opinion. I think FSG just need to swallow their pride and, and give them a blank check. Oh, yeah. Cough up the money. Uh, we can go to our penultimate question and city Zilla second question, which is uh, on the topic of Antonio Conte and Spurs. He says, contrary to what Conte's personal opinion on what he's done at Spurs, I think he's done a solid job. Uh this is a tough one, Garrett. How do you think Conte has done so far at Tottenham Hotspur? Obviously, he's gotten a, a little bit of help backing from the board, but not the best squad, but he he needs to be able to compete for that top four, which is looking less and less likely. I think he's doing fine, honestly. I mean, coming mid-season, they were, they were doing so poorly under Nuno, and at the moment, the, you know, it looks like they're going to finish fifth, which considering they finished seventh last year, you know, that that's not bad at all. And and I think the signings of Kulisevsky and Benjinker are, are very shrewd acquisitions. I like both of those signings a lot. Um, and, you know, it's midseason. He had one transfer window and it's a January window. You know, you're, people don't take that many risks in, in January windows. So I think he's doing more than enough to keep his job. That's for sure. Um, I, I think that he could be the man to kind of get Spurs back to where they were. Um you know, I, I like I like the appointment. I think he's doing a good job. I agree with with Zilla. I think he's doing a solid job and I'm ex- I think he could be very successful given more time, given an actual transfer window, a full preseason with the squad. So considering the circumstances he entered into, I, I have to agree with Zilla. Yeah, to me, the question is, what exactly is the plan here with him and Tottenham Hotspur? Because if the plan is, you know, he stays for next year, at least maybe a, a, a little bit longer uh, and tries to build something at Tottenham, I think that that is, then he's on the right track. Because as you say, Kulisevsky, Betancur, these are good signings. Kulisevsky, I mean, has really, really hit the ground running uh, and fit in really well with Kane and Son up top. Uh, but if if the idea is he needed to come in and get Champions League now, because we know that he wants to be competing in the Champions League, uh, and he's not satisfied otherwise, is he going to want to stay at Tottenham if they don't uh, reach that fourth spot? I'm not sure. I don't know how uh, connected he is with the club, how how willing he is to go through the tough times because he, he is a manager who ad- admittedly hates to lose. I, I mean, he really, really hates to lose. And we know that's true with everybody, but it is very evident with Antonio Conte. He is, uh, in all of his post-game pressers, you can feel the... Uh, sadness and, and anger oozing out of him. Um, but that, that's the question to me because like Arteta, for example, his project there at Arsenal is a long-term thing, which is why I've backed him for a while. I think that he, he what he's done uh, has been all in the right direction, whereas a lot of Arsenal fans don't feel the same way, but it's looking that it's, it's succeeding, right? He's 
looking to get that fourth spot. It's probably going to happen for him this year. Bring Arsenal back to the Champions League, which they've been out of for a few years now, and and return them to the glory that they deserve. Um, and if that's the idea that Conte wants to do, if that's the idea that Daniel Levy has, then I think that it, it can be successful. But yeah, he getting top four this season, uh, I, I know he was what he wanted to do when he came in, and that is not being accomplished. I mean, I disagree with that because I don't think he would have taken this job uh, if he cared so much about the first season success coming in mid-season because Spurs were not even close to being top four when when he came in and now he's put them more in the conversation. Obviously, still seems very unlikely that that's going to happen. But, you know, he was the one talking about after their loss to Burnley, which is just a very Spursy thing to do. And as much as, you know, Conte can come in and be like, you know, he said, oh, maybe I'm not doing a good enough job. Maybe it's my fault. Not him saying he's too good for Spurs, but that Spurs would potentially sack him, which I think obviously is not going to happen. That was a very reactionary take from him. And, and there's been a lot of discussion about it. But I, I don't think he would have taken this job in the first place if you, you know, I, and I don't think Spurs would have agreed to bring him in if he said, I'm leaving if we don't get top four, considering the position that they that they were in. You know, they're likely going to be in a point of transition soon because, you know, them not finishing top four, I'd be kind of surprised if Kane stays beyond this season. Um, I guess maybe Conte staying is a factor in that. Also, I, th- I think, you know, where would Kane really go? Because it seems like City... We'll be going after Holland and and not Kane, which would be kind of the premier destination for him. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to look at. But I, I wouldn't, I would, I don't foresee Conte packing up and leaving if they don't finish top four. Considering the situation that he came into, he would be very naive to think that they would get top four. Uh, and I think Spurs would be naive to appoint him if he told him that he was if if he told them rather that he would only stay if they got top four. And then sticking on the topic of managers, we can move to our last question comes from Sid. Uh, Do you think a manager can work well, irrespective of whatever the board situation is? Uh, If no, then what are the, your thoughts on managers who get a very good board, get immense support and get whatever players uh, he wants. Uh, I feel like that's a little bit in reference to Pep Guardiola. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, coming from a United fan, of course, but yeah, I mean, for me, no, of course he, the, the manager can't just do anything without the board's backing. Uh, if, if the board is uh, having a disaster, then it, it's not working. Uh, it's not going to work well for the manager. The manager has to have a squad and, and uh, uh, the, the entire club has to have a philosophy that will work. I mean, we've seen that I'm sure ever uh, Garrett will attest Everton, uh, the board has been a disaster this year, and is the main reason why they're falling uh, into a relegation fight. As far as you know, getting what you want, yeah, of course, it's very, very helpful uh, when you get the board backing and get uh, the transfer market backing that you want, and getting the players in. Pep Guardiola has said it himself many times. If he didn't, if he wasn't able to, uh, you know, buy the players that he wants and get the the top quality players into his team he wouldn't be able to produce the style of football that he does. Uh, but I do think that there are different managers who suit different uh, philosophies, and that is Pep Guardiola's philosophy, whereas we know there's a, a bunch of managers who will go in and uh, fight for to, to keep teams in the league uh, when they're not as good. We've seen that 
happen this year as we do every year. Uh, and and some managers are better at doing that than they are at managing a top team with the egos and whatever else comes with it. Yeah, I, it depends on the manager. Um, because you look at Sean Dyche, perfect example, zero backing, and and he's kept Burnley in the league for like five years, which is crazy. I still don't understand how he's done that. Um, I, and, you know, so it, it all really depends. Obviously, having a, a good board, uh, if you're pushing for the upper echelons, you're, you're going to need that. I'd say it depends on kind of what success looks like for, for a certain club. Cause we've seen with the right manager, you know, you don't need a lot of support or a lot of money or whatever to, to still achieve, you know, some amazing things. I think Eddie Howe's another example, not at Newcastle, but at Bournemouth taking them from, I, I think it was league two all the way up to the Premier league, you know, and it's not like he had a ton of money. Bournemouth are a very small club. Their stadium holds like 11,000. Uh, so it, it depends. It depends on the situation, on the manager. Um, what I will say is if you have a very, very bad board, so, you know, if it's in the middle or if it's good, it depends on the manager. But if you have a shockingly bad board, um, then a lot of time, either a, the wrong manager will get appointed. Uh, so that's Rafa Benitez, for example, if, if we're looking at the Everton situation with, with the board, um, or, you know, making signings that the managers don't want, for example, uh, Anwar El Ghazi, who Benitez, you know, before he got sacked, said multiple times he didn't want him. Uh, and then Mashiri, because he's in bed with Kia Jirabchi and just went and, and signed him on loan just because he could, because he's the owner and he can do whatever he wants. That's that's a nightmare. So if, if you have like a outrageously bad board, then I don't think it matters really what manager you have. And that's why I think Everton really need to be looking into the decision making process at the club because Mashiri should not be involved in it. Um, and the, he has been, and that's why we are where we are. So it depends on the, on the manager, depends on the situation, um, depends on the board rather. And that's a very circumstantial answer. But if you kind of look at it through that lens, you can look at kind of whatever situation um, you might be trying to apply this to and, and figure out your analysis of whether that situation could be successful, whether that club could be successful with based on that manager or that board. Um, that was quite a cir circuitous way to get around that. But with that, Justin, I think that's everything we have for this week. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's U90Football. Um, we have some more second legs uh, in the round of 16 for the Champions League and some tasty fixtures uh, the rest of the week. We have Arsenal versus Liverpool coming up as well, which will be a big game both in the top four race and uh, in the title race, of course. So be on a lookout for that. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening.